Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon. Um, oh, it's afternoon someplace, morning someplace else, and probably at night in another location. Uh, this is, uh, I'd like to welcome you to Business Growth Radio, Solutions on Demand. This is show 5.15, which means season five, uh, show 15. I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for GrowthWorks Media and Program Director for IBGR, which is Internet Business Growth Radio. Uh, our topic today is on the business initiatives driven by the economic cycle. That sounds like a lot, but basically the, 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 the premise behind this is as a business owner, uh, you can, in fact, if you understand where we are in the economy and especially in the business cycle, you can make some decisions about what is in the best interest of your company. Um, and I based this on something that I did not include in the notes. As I talk through this, my recommendation is that if you want to participate in this, whether uh, you're going to do this live or you're going to do this on the podcast, is go to our website, Business Growth Radio. Um, uh, excuse me, growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. I'm going to the website right now. It'll take you to the homepage. If you look at the top navigation bar, you'll see resources. Click that. And halfway down the page, you'll see growth work tools. And you'll see 2.0 Economic Initiatives version 1. Download it. And uh, that is where we're going to be talking from the show. So if you're on the podcast, that means that you're probably sitting someplace rather than driving in your car. And you have the opportunity to look at it. Because what I want to do, as we do with all our shows, is I want to provide the business owner the entrepreneur, and I conflate the two, but basically the same thing in my mind on what you need to do to grow your company. We are part of the GrowthWorks Media Organization, and we run a number of different radio shows. We run a Monday webinar, and you can find access to that at our, on our homepage at growthradio.biz. We also run uh, two internet shows on IBGR, Tuesday, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And if you missed yesterday's show, I will do some reference to it, uh, but basically it's there. And uh, we run the show on Wednesday, and you can check our calendar for episodes of upcoming shows so you know what's going on. And I'll give you a hint at the end of what you can expect on next Tuesday. So if you're there, you downloaded the PDF. Okay, let's get started. Okay, let me start where I learned this, and I didn't start out to do this. I see myself as a is a business scientist and an entrepreneurial capitalist. And what all that means is that I try to apply the principles of science to real world applications. And I typically work backwards. In other words, I look at what's working in, the, in, in a small business. And when I say a small business, it could be anywhere from $100,000 in revenue to 10 million. Our sweet spot is around 5 mil uh, in terms of revenue. But all the principles that we work on uh, work from, I should say, apply to all those business. And a lot of what we do applies to corporations because um, I spent 25 years consulting to the Fortune 50 companies. My list is fairly long. And if you want to check that out, you can check out my personal website, which is my name, williameastman.us, williameastman.us. And you can uh, get a sense of where we have been. The last 15 years, I've dedicated myself to small businesses, because even though the large corporate consulting is lucrative, uh, the ability to have an impact is not significant. And 
one of the things that I learned when I was doing economic development work in Africa for the United Nations, uh, specifically UNDP or United Nations Development Programs, is that the small business owner, the entrepreneur in any country you go to that has any semblance of market-based capitalism is the entrepreneur and small business owner makes up about 90% of all of the new jobs created in the economy. It's an interesting dynamic, and it's also interesting that American politicians, and I'm also speaking to my Canadian friends and my English friends, don't seem to understand that, is that if you create the environment where small businesses can grow, you'll have an expanding economy, and more importantly, you'll have jobs, because that's really what creates all that. And so once you've got the jobs, then you're in a situation where everything is going to improve. Uh, so with that, that is the, the basis behind this. I did not study economics in college other than in an MBA program. I took a couple classes. I'm self-taught, and the reason I was self-taught is when I started working large corporate corporations, one of the things I would do as we were trying to onboard a client, someplace in the sales process where we're getting close to being able to cut a deal and start working on the, on the contractual arrangements, is that I would think like a stockbroker because these were all publicly traded companies and I would look at them from the perspective as a stockbroker. And if I was going to invest in this stock, well, maybe the real question is, would I invest in this stock? And if the answer is yes, why? And if the answer is no, why would I not invest in them? And it gave me a real insight into the company because no matter what they were asking me to do, ultimately, because they're publicly traded, everything that they were doing was to positively affect the stock price. And so I also learned that a lot of the people inside the company that I was working with, unless I was talking to the C-suite, didn't understand anything that I was talking about when I said, well, you're doing this and this and this, and you did an SEC filing. And they were all like looking at me like I was crazy, or how'd you know that? So the whole premise behind this is the fact that if I understand how the economy works, the business cycle specifically, and I'm running a business, I can make some decisions about given where the economy is today and where it's going to go next, because this is a pretty predictable cycle. I can then make some decisions and get ahead of the curve, so to speak, where the curve is going up, where the curve is going down, whether the curve is at the top, or whether the curve is at the bottom. It kind of tells me what are the things that I should be doing right now today. So if you have downloaded uh, the PDF, then what you'll see on the opening page, uh, 2.0, this is part of a five-part uh, series I wrote called Business Primer. And it was designed for business owners to say, hey, if you knew what I knew, um, what, what are the things you would be attentive to? And this was section two on economic-driven uh, initiatives. So it's a playoff of yesterday. Yesterday's show, we talked about if I'm looking at the strategic landscape, or a strategic campus, which is something I did in large corporations and I do for my small business clients. Uh, how do I, how, what, what's the model that I should be using to look at the environment? Um, and there are plenty out there and just about every major consulting company, McKenzie, uh, Ernst & Young, uh, KPMG, all the, all the big dogs, well, I think now we're down to five, the big five, all have their own proprietary model, but basically they're all the same thing. We developed our own because what we wanted to do is we wanted to make this even easier. So we came up with a thing called RESZ, R-E-S-Z. These four components tell me everything I need to know. So as a review from my, uh, yesterday's show, R stands for regulatory, 
what's going on at the federal, state, and local level that's going to affect your industry, which means it's going to affect you and your competitors. And what and what and how is it going to impact if it does the buying decisions customers make? The second one, E, is economic. And I was doing the preface for today's show. I'll leave that alone. Move on to S. S is scientific or technological, and how is all of that impacting your industry, your company, your competitors, and the buying decision your customers make? And then finally, the last one is Z, which was the zeitgeist. What is the prevailing groupthink out there that you need to attend to? And this is not necessarily you have to agree with or disagree with it. Is just understand that it's driving uh, it's driving decision making, it's driving how things are marketed, it's driving the general impression. And the example I used yesterday is I have a number of landscape clients, and uh, these landscape companies are mixed about where they stand on global warming. And I don't want to get into that debate here because it's not a science show. But what they all understand is that the that the customer, the buying customer, is caught up in the climate environment right now in terms of looking at carbon footprint. So what they've done is they've added to their marketing and added to their process of delivery is sustainability. And so what you find is a lot of them are going to propane power trucks rather than gasoline, um, easy conversion, you got diesels, can't do that. But if you got gas, go to propane. Um, if you're using lawnmowers and you're using gas powered uh, devices, uh, equipment, Go to propane there, and for the smaller handheld equipment, you go to battery packs. Um, and because the technology is such, you can do that because now it's there. But also what they do now is they've advertised their customers, and they're finding that a more discriminating customer who's willing to pay more is willing to pay more for that. And so that's having an impact. So the zeitgeist is not whether you agree with it or not unless it's immoral or unethical. It's understanding what it is and how does that impact buying decisions. And so I would recommend that you go and look at yesterday's show, that show 4.4, uh, 5.14, and take a look at that. There are no show notes with it because it was pretty self-explanatory. However, here, what we're going to do now is we're going to start with um, the curve. Now, I've looked at a lot of different economic models, and the one that I like the best is Elliott's wave theory. Fully, yeah, simply is the word. It's simple. It, it makes it easy to understand that all business cycles have a pattern to them that are reasonably consistent, that if you know where you are, you know what's going to happen next. Uh, the only question is, one is, what is the duration between the peaks, the highs, or the duration between the lows? And so as a former marine scientist, uh, I like the wave theory because also I spent a lot of time on the water looking at big waves. And so if you look at the economy, you have in the trough is usually when you're coming out of a recession hopefully not a depression, but you're at the very bottom. And then you have this upslope, this expansion, which is the face of the wave. Then you get to the top of the wave, the crest, and you're at the very top of the cycle. And just like a wave is all cycles are not sustainable, and I'll talk about why here in a second. And then you're on the backside, which is usually the contraction, um, sometimes leads to a recession. And then you're down at the bottom, and then you're ready for the next wave, or hopefully you're ready for the next wave. What we did is we took the principles that people who are traders, and they're not technical traders, but they're traders based upon economy, uh, business cycle, and what is doing well. So, for example, on the face of the wave during expansion, growth stocks are, are the place to be because that's where you'll get the greatest return. 
once you get close to the crest, the, the, the decision is now move over to bonds or commodities uh, because commodities like food, uh, water, liquor, I would put liquor in there, um, it, during the downturn now become the prime areas of value. Well, the same thing applies if I'm in my small business. And so we, we provide some ongoing uh, research for our clients. So that's part of the thing that we offer them. So I'm going to offer that to you here right now. So the way I want you to look at the is you look at the first graph, what you can see is at the crest, what I have is I have four. I just started there. So this is step four, phase four. It says distress. And then as you go down, number five is revulsion. And I'm using stock terms now. Um, six is as you're getting close to the bottom, it's called panic. Um, you know, so basically a distress, you get at the top and you realize that this is over. So you're distressed. What do we do? Uh, revulsion is that now it's really starting to kick in and you're like, Oh my God, panic is, I can't believe it's lasted as long and it has a serious impact on a lot on a lot of wealth, but also on a lot of businesses. And when you get at the bottom, uh, number one is called new opportunities. And with the new opportunities, it says, okay, the market is bottomed. Now, where are the opportunities? Because they're going to be some, what are they? And the quicker you get into them and buy low, you know, then when you sell high, you, you know, you'll make more money. Then what you see, the second stage is a credit expansion. And that's usually the indication that you're about to approach a bubble. But I'll get to that. And then finally, at the as you're approaching the crest, you're in euphoria, where, um, what did, what did the Alan Greenspan call that? Uh, a exuberance, uh, extreme exuberance happens and people are excited and it's can't, it's like you can't make a bad decision. And one of the things we will do in the presentation is we will also talk about where I see the economy and that's got to be my closing. So I'm using this uh, Elliott wave as a way of looking at it. And I'm going to say that there are four general areas uh, in the wave. Okay. So at the bottom, there is expansion. You're getting up the face of the wave and expansion. And that is where, and I'm working off page two right now, is where true value is greater than market price. Now, what this gets to is the law of supply and demand. And so understand two things about any economy. Number one is pricing is the most important element. Most important piece of information is price. And so price communicates to the market the relative value of something whether it is underpriced or overpriced. And so when you're at the bottom, very bottom of this cycle, what we're saying here is the true value of something is much greater than what you can charge. And what's happened is everybody's been cleaned out. Nobody's spending any money and you've had to compete on price to sell your products and services. And so you're, you're barely getting a margin right now. So the value of what you do is far greater than what you can charge, okay? Then you have expansion where true value is less than the market price. And this is the bubble effect. In other words, when people first, when you first get into a growth market is that the stocks are underpriced. And so what happens is that now it's time to jump in and get the greatest growth. At some point, people catch up to you. And if you go back up to page one and you can see that presents kind of the midpoint where price and value match. In other words, everything is priced about where it should be. When you go above that, then you start getting the bubble. You start getting inflation. And that is where expand, an expansion where the true value of something is really less than the market price or it's overpriced. 
the third one contraction okay and that is on the back side of the wave as you're going down and that is where the value is less than the market price okay because what's happening here is that it hasn't all settled out it hasn't all settled out yet in terms of supply and demand because what's going on on the expansion side is that you start off in a situation where demand is greater than supply because if you're a business owner and the economy's bad the one thing you're not doing is you're not producing excess of anything and what happens over time as demand goes up supply then one matches it and then pretty soon there's more demand than the supply more people jump into the market and try to you know sell something that you are currently doing in an expansion at the top what you'll find is competitors you've never seen before as you get on the other side is that demand is going down but it hasn't gone down beyond the value so you still can charge a little bit more than it's worth but it's you're getting some price pressure and then at the bottom number four contraction is where the value is greater than the market price which now takes you back to the expansion piece so just understanding is that price is the element that any market uses to communicate the value of something and that price and value almost never equal is that you're in markets where either the value of what you do is less than you can charge or if the value of what you do you can is is you know less than the price tag that you can put on it because there's more demand than there is supply so those basic concepts okay help us understand what's going on now as you scroll down on page two Here's what you'll see at the bottom. The market contraction is where the value, true value is greater than the market price. And now what I've done is I've added into this where you should be as the business owner. Given that this is the cycle we're going through and we're using stock terminology, which is fine because that's what those people get paid to do, is that if you're at the very bottom, you are at rung one in the ladder called new opportunities. And so what you're looking to do is anticipate demand. Okay, and what you want to do here is you want to go into current market with your current offer. And I can see here that my graphic probably did not work as well as I wanted it to. Okay, well, we'll, we'll take care of that later. I'll, I'll put a revised uh, version up on the website. I didn't see that uh, the PDF what happened with the PDF was that it shrunk it too much. Okay. I'll take care of that in the later one. And so when the bottom, when the market is bottomed out, what I want to do is I want to anticipate the increase in demand. I want to say to myself, it can't get any worse. We're now here. It's kind of the old saying it is the night is darkest right before the dawn, which is true. And so, I want to take a look at the current markets, the, the, the customers I currently sell to with my current offer. And then what I want to do is I want to aggressively go after that marketplace. Okay. Now, as the market picks up, the next thing I want to do is I want to take my current offer and I want to look at other markets. I want to start moving into places that I've been. So, um, and I'll, I'll use a landscape example, um, for this and that is uh, let's say that I've only been doing one maintenance in a certain neighborhood 
So I've got this current offer where I come in and every week I cut your grass, I do some light trimming. I might, um, I certainly clean up, but I might do some spraying and things of that nature, depending upon what you pay for. But now as the market is expanding, I'm going to say to myself, okay, I'm going to take that landscape offer, that landscape maintenance offer, and I'm going to take it into other neighborhoods, new markets that I haven't sold in. Because what you find it, it, as you get to the very bottom of a contraction right before the, is you have suppressed demand. People aren't making buying decisions because of where the market is. It's things that they really want to have, but they're not willing to spend money yet because they're not confident that the timing is good. And so as this thing's beginning to pick up, money becomes free and people begin to spend money. Also, what happens is that that well moves you into an area of credit expansion because at the bottom, two things are going on. Banks and lending institutions are not willing to lend any money because of their fears of the economy. And as the business owner, you're not really willing to take on any debt because you're not sure that you can service the debt. I mean, if you're not sure of sales, why would I take on debt? But then as this is expanding, what happens is not only is cash available, but you also see it an expansion of credit. And usually the expansion of credit tells you that this thing is about the rock and you, you want to get into it. So what I want to do is I want to take what I currently offer and sell it into new markets. So I don't have to do a lot of work here other than marketing and sales and expanding. So at the bottom, I go after my current customer base with my current offer and more than likely they're ready to buy. Now what I want to do, step two, is I now want to expand into other markets. Now, when we get to this point here, you've reached what we would call the equilibrium point, which is where, where uh, value equals price, pretty balanced. Now, if you go down to page three, what you'll find here is that as the credit begins to expand and where now the, the economy is beginning to heat up, you begin to see inflation take over because one of the indicators of inflation is credit. Um, and and that has to do with money supply and some other factors that are not relevant to us except to understand it. Now what I want to do is I want to take all of the new customers I have, my old customers plus the new ones I've added, and what new offer can I add? What upsell can I add to those people? Okay. And so what's my move? My move is to expand into the markets I now own with some upsells. This is the period of time where credit is loose, money is flush, and if there's ever an opportunity to upsell, I can upsell now. And what you're doing here at this point is you're beginning to build your cash base, your revenue base, because you also know that this is going to run out. And so I don't want to be caught short when it goes down. Now, let me talk about government intervention in the economy for a second, is that the government can affect this in some ways, but typically it makes it worse because if, in fact, going into the expansion, if the government prints too much money and um, has too easy of credit policy, the slope of this wave will actually get higher and higher and higher. Now, the problem with it, just like an ocean wave, is that at some point, the wave itself cannot support the, the weight of it and why waves crash is that you no longer can support the weight. That's why waves crash on the beach, is as the bottom comes up, the, the, the relative height of the wave increases, and then pretty soon the wave cannot, unless it's going incredibly fast, 
the wave canal not support the weight of the water, and that's why it breaks. And so what you see here is the government um, pumping money into the market, and it's creating an artificial bubble. And anybody that's followed the market knows all about bubbles. Uh, bubbles are always created. Uh, the business sector will do a bubble itself. And what is a bubble? It's nothing more than the price for something way exceeds its value. The stock price for a company um, doesn't, uh, doesn't equate to its profit and earnings statement. In other words, you look at it and it should be at X and it's not. It's at Y and it's like two or three times what it should be. That tells you that we're into the area of a bubble. Uh, the government has an impact on that. But fundamentally, all all markets go through a bubble phase. Okay, so your three steps are your first move, and I'm going to go back to uh, page two. Your first move is anticipate demand and expand into current markets with your current offer. Go after your existing accounts and try to get those people who have cut back or not spending any money with you now get them back. Once you've got that and you've got all of that that you're going to get then you want to expand in new markets with the same offer. So you're doing the same products and services. You're just expanding your, co uh, expanding your customer base. And we would call this marketing adjacent markets in that you're not going after absolutely brand new customers. You're going after customers that look like the ones that you have. It's just that you have not gone after those markets before. Your third move in this expansion is to expand into the current market with a new offer. And that could be an upsell, or you've been thinking about offering a new product or service. Uh, this is a great place. And by the way, um, as most of you know who have been listening to anything we do on customer service, is that customer service is not a random act of kindness. It is part of the sales process. It's an upsell. And that typically it's 20% of the cost of acquiring a new account. So if you can upsell these existing accounts with some new product or service, then what that means is that the margin on that money is going to be much higher. One is the cost of sales is lower. Number two is that the customer is probably more willing uh, to uh, to expand and spend. And I'm now on page four. Now you're in a situation where you're at the top of the market. Now, what have you been doing? Well, hopefully what you've been doing up to this period of time, as you've been getting money in the door, in the early stages, you've been paying being, you've been paying down your debt. More than likely, when you're at the bottom of a contraction, you know, you're coming out of a recession, more than likely, you're not in a good credit situation with your line of credit, if you have one, but certainly with your accounts payable with your suppliers. And so what you want to do here is, as you've been making money, you want to take that money and you want to pay down your line of credit to where it's almost zero, not exactly zero, but almost zero, and you're paying down whatever you owe your suppliers. And typically you're paying it down by you're bringing down your accounts payable cycle from 45 or 60 days to under 30. Uh, because probably what happened to you in the recession is that if you let those go over 60, then all your suppliers will only sell to you if in fact it's cash on demand. In other words, you send, them, send me money, I'll send you the stuff. You're not gonna be able to buy on time because you've already uh, lost that. So now at the top of the cycle, as you get into the top, cash flow management becomes the issue. So your move here is lean up the organization by going after fixed costs. And fixed costs are all the costs that are associated with running the business that you do not charge for. 
So go back to the landscaping is that the variable cost tied up delivering lawn maintenance services is outside of this. I'm taking a look at the building. I'm taking a look at personnel that are working in accounting. I'm looking at all the other costs that I have to pay, whether fixed cost, whether whether we sell anything or not, I got to pay those every day. It could be a lease, it could be a mortgage. But what I want to do right now is I want to start because this is a two-step process. Number one is I want to lean up and I want to reduce my fixed cost. And typically you do that by some sort of 10% challenge. And I've been very successful in doing business turnarounds with the challenge. And what that challenge is, I go to internal departments and I go, okay, I need 10% from you. I need 10% in terms of I need you to reduce the cycle time on the work you're doing, like processing paper by 10%. I need you to take out 10% of the cost of the operation. They give me five or six, I'll be happy with it. I'm not going to tell them that at the beginning, but I'm going to be happy with it if that's what I get. All right? So that is, you should be you should be preparing for this at the top of the crest and already engaged in it as the market begins to top off. And this is when now people are starting to go, uh-oh, I think this run is over. And the, the stock picker's term is distress in the market. All right, as we begin to slide down the backside of the wave, the next thing I want to do here is that I want to lean up the operation by reducing variable costs. I leaned it up first on the fixed side. Now I'm going to go after the variable cost. And what I'm going to do here, because this is I'm, I'm anticipating what's about to happen, is I lean up my variable operations. Let's say that it cost me, and, uh, and typically materials and landscape maintenance, it's not materials, it's labor. Uh, because if I've agreed to, I'm going to do this with their property, um, and I'm going to do this with mulch and different things that I use, the material cost is not going to change a lot, but I'm going to be taking a look at the hours saying, okay, I go after my external resources, my variable costs, and I say I want 10% here. So if a job is taking 42, uh, 42 minutes, I'm going to see if I can't get that under 40. Now, I, that doesn't mean that I'm going to have unhappy customers. It simply says I'm going to look for efficiencies and can we take two or three minutes out of this job. And what I'm going to do with that is that I'm going to offer some of that cost savings to the customer. So as you're going down the back slope, what you're going to do is start reducing your prices slightly. Okay, uh, I just want you to hang on that. You take your cost savings. You're not you're not touching your margin. You're taking your cost savings, and you're saying, you know, we've we've been, we put some new practices in place. We're doing this a little better, and uh, we're going to give you a five percent price reduction. And what this will do is because your customers are getting now at this point, it's obvious that the run is over, and the economy is getting bad, and we're on the backside of the cycle. People are going to want to start, you know, pulling out. And so by reducing your pricing because you found economies, what is going to happen is you're going to hold those customers longer. Okay. Now, the other thing that you want to do is you want to put an incredible emphasis on your accounts receivable. Um, and I didn't put that on here, but on the accounts receivable side, what that means is that I want to do everything in my power to get everything paid within 30 days. Because if in fact, I'm carrying 45, 50, 55 days with clients. Effectively, you're a bank. Anything over 30 days is a loan. And unless you are a bank, you're not in the banking business. And so what I want to do is I want to start pulling down 
some of my accounts receivable and I want to get them manageable, get them under 30 days. If you have to offer a price discount, let's say somebody owes you $1,000, maybe you go to them and say, hey, give me 950 today, call it a day, or give me 925 today, we'll call it a day. But if you don't start collecting here, as this recession gets worse, as this contraction gets more powerful, your ability to collect is going to go down. So get it now. Okay, so now what we're doing is we're passing the midpoint here and things are really getting bad and you're moving from revulsion to panic. Okay, so the panic, this is what you've done. This is what you need to do now. You see, your competitors who aren't doing this are now scrambling on cash flow management on their fixed and variable costs on their margins. And now it's too late. There's not much they can do because now they are cash constrained because they didn't save it up and they didn't see this coming, even though it comes every 10 to 12 years, this happens. Well, you're way ahead of them. So in situation, in this panic situation, what is your move now? Your move now is to take a look at, is there anything you can do that you can improve the products and services that you offer and take an internal focus on the business and say, is there an upgrade that we can do to the product? Because more than likely, you're not going to be overly busy. And so if you have this cash available and you've been managing it well, you haven't laid anybody off or you laid off very few people, but people are under occupied. Well, where do I put them? I put them now on working on improving what our offer is going to be so that I get ready for the upturn. And then when I get there, I'm very I'm back to the beginning going, okay, now as this thing bottoms out, what do I do? I anticipate the expansion of demand and I go after my current customers with my current offer. Only my current offer now is the new improved offer. And what I find is that companies that have been able to do this, instead of fighting it because you can't, uh, instead of getting mad, which you can, but it doesn't solve anything, is they say to themselves, okay, this is the environment that I'm in. How do I make decisions about running the business? I'll give you one other insight and uh, before I do a summary on this. And it comes down to this. So one of the people that I have a great deal of respect for, one of the great contrarian thinkers of this early 21st century, is a hedge fund manager by the name of uh, Nassim uh, Tlaib. And he's, he's written some incredible books, Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, uh, uh, Fooled by randomness. I would heartily recommend it's a, it's a not an easy read. It's a difficult read, but read Annie Fragile. And here's his proposition, which soon as I read it, I was like, wow, he nailed it. He said, if you look at businesses, look at them on a continuum. By the way, you can look at organizations like the government, but we're talking about small business. You look at the small business. So I want you on a piece of paper on your notes, draw a straight line from left to right, the left-hand side, right fragile. On the, uh, on the left-hand side, excuse me, right, fragile. On the right-hand side, right, anti-fragile. And put a midpoint in there and write robust. Now, here's his proposition. People that are on the left-hand side are fragile. And so, for example, an example, uh, uh, for example, here is a company that was not putting money away, managing cash, managing accounts payable, credit lines, accounts receivable, and then they got smacked by this wave and suddenly they're on the downside. That's a fragile company because what happens in the downturn 
is it cleans out businesses. That's part of how the business cycle works is that you go to the bubble, it gets inflated. You got people in business who shouldn't be in business selling things that people really don't want. They're not of high value, but because there is excess money and credit uh, in, the, in the economy, they buy. But as soon as things get tight, those people and those companies go away. And what you want to do is that you want to survive the downturn, the contraction, the recession, and survive it in a way that your competitors, most of your competitors are gone. So what do you do? You go gobble up their business. Well, fragile companies, when one of these waves comes through, and what uh, Tlaib called a black swan, and his analogy is if you've ever seen swan together, they're all white, and yet somehow every once in a while, uh, two white swans will produce a black swan because it's a recessive gene. You can't predict when it's going to happen, except that if you've got 100 swans in a lake, one of them is going to wind up having a uh, uh, a chick that's a black swan or uh, whatever they call swan babies. I don't know. I was going to say gosling, but that's a goose. And so the same thing here is that these black swan events happen. You can predict they're going to happen. What you can't predict is when, and you can't predict what, but you know they're going to happen. And with the fragile business, a fragile business is a business where one or two events, predictable or unpredictable, will take them out of business. You want to move from there. And at a minimum, you get to the robust. And what the robust is, your company can survive the next big wave, the next black swan event. It doesn't take you out. It may create some hurt in the business. You may have to lay some people off. You may have to sell stuff. But fundamentally, you're still in business. The anti-fragile is an interesting concept in that these are the companies that when the recession hits are actually getting stronger that they're taking advantage of this event to actually grow and see new opportunities. And so at the very bottom of this presentation I'm giving you is how do you move your company from fragile to robust? If you do what I'm talking about here in this model, you will be robust. You will survive each one of these economic waves unless, of course, it is catastrophic like 1929. Then uh, all bets are off. But even the, even the companies that went through 1929, some of them were anti-fragile. I mean, it, it's not a matter of uh, Tlaib came up with this and said, okay, here's a new model. He just, like I do, he just described what he saw and gave it some names, and he didn't have a name for anti-fragile. So that's what he put anti-fragile. But if you do this, if you take a look at where we are in the economy and you say, okay, where should we be right now today? What should we be doing? And what's going to happen next? you will at least be robust enough that it doesn't matter what the economy does. Your business is going to survive. And if you can move it to anti-fragile, and I think moving it to anti-fragile is what we talked about on, on page five, where you re-engineer your current offer. What you do is that you improve your core products and services during this down period and make them better because from using them, you know what, they need, what needs to be improved. You make it better. And then when you make it better and the economy turns around, you've got an offer that's better than your competitors, not the same as your competitors. For the ones that are left who are still scrambling, they're hanging on by a fingernail, they can't aggressively go out there and market and sell at a market bottom. And what I mean by that is when the market gets at the bottom, this is where you make your investment in marketing and sales and go out there after your own accounts because you have the money to do so and you have something to sell them. These other companies who have just survived it, 
maybe hanging on by their fingernails, they don't have that ability. They're going to have to wait till the economy picks up and get some cash in the door, and they may be weeks, months, or maybe a year behind you. And then you've already gone in, and you have people that are out of business, and you've probably taken some from them. All right, now, so where are we today in, in summary? In, uh, on, January, on Wednesday, January 23rd of 2019, I believe we're on the third rung of the ladder. The third rung of the ladder is we are in euphoria, probably in the late stages of euphoria. Now, I'm not being political in the, in the following statement. If, if we had a Republican Congress, House, they were talking about another tax cut. Odds are that this expansion would probably get another couple years life. The fact is that now the opposing party is in there. That's not going to happen. So my guess is we are someplace between uh, the, the upper parts of the expansion and the crest. So what would I do here? Okay. So if you followed what I was talking about and you reached out to current customers with the existing offer, and then what you did is you expanded into new markets, taking away business from people that are out of business or struggling to come out of the economy or customers just like the ones that you currently have. You've done that. And now what you've done is you've upsold uh, the new offer. Now where you should be is focusing, increasing the percentage of the budget with your current customers. Where I would be today is I would look at every one of my accounts and say, of the things that we sell, what percentage of that business do we have? Are they buying anything from anybody else? And where I would go is that if like I've got, and I'll go back to landscaping, if I got the maintenance contract, but I don't have a contract for um, uh, turf and in the industry, turf is herbicides, fertilizers, et cetera. Maybe I want to get into that market right now and take that business away from them because it does not take a large capital investment. But what you want to say to yourself right now today is if you don't have 100% of the business of your current customers, then get it because that's going to be high margin business for the most part because you don't have any cost of sales tied to it. So even if you have the same margin on it as you have on other things because you don't have a lower cost of sales, I would focus right now on that. Okay. Also, what I would now do is I would start focusing on my cash flow management. I would look really hard at how cash is coming in and going out. What is the velocity of cash? Is it coming in faster and it's going out? More than likely it is. And it's a wonderful thing. But the downside of it is that mask all sins. And so if you've got some real issues in your business around cash and credit, it's going to be masked by the fact that you got all this business coming in. So I would take a hard look at this. And as we talked about earlier, I would be looking at my accounts receivable. I'd be looking at my accounts uh, payable, and I'd be looking at my credit line. If you don't have a credit line, right now, today, may be the place to go. And a, a, a line of credit, let's just get this clear, line of credit is not for any type of capital expansion. It's not for buying equipment. A line of credit is money at your disposal to smooth out cash flow so that in times when you don't have a lot of sales, like you're about to have on the other side uh, when, you, when the economy goes into a uh, contraction, the other side of the wave, is that you have now cash coming in that smooths stuff out so you're not sweating can you pay your bills. So if you don't have a line of credit, get one. If you have a line of credit and you haven't paid it down, paid it down. 
Now I'm going to go after my accounts payables. And if I'm over 30 days with anybody, catch up days. As a matter of fact, I would take a hard look at, are there any discounts that we haven't been taken advantage of for quick pay? And you want to look at those. Now, some of those are, are worth it. Some aren't. Uh, if somebody said, well, if you pay within five days, I'll give you a 5% discount, probably not worth it. If somebody says, if you pay within 10 days and I'll give you a six or 7% discount, might be worth it. But I want to look at, if nothing else, getting all my accounts payable under 30 days and get in good shape with my suppliers because I'm going to need their forbearance when we get on the other side of this wave. Now I'm going to look at my accounts receivable. And on my accounts receivable, it's the same thing. And anybody who's habitually 45 days or later, you might want to consider factoring. And if you don't know what factoring is, Factoring is where you sell your accounts receivable to a company that collects. They're professionals and they collect on the money. And now it's between the client and them on when they get paid, but you get paid within 24 hours. And typically the discount is someplace from 2 to 6%, depending upon how long it takes to get paid. So in other words, what we're saying is you sell your accounts receivable to a, a factoring company they pay you 90% 24 hours of what's owed. And then depending upon how quickly they get paid, they will rebate you anywhere from 8% to 2%. In other words, if the person pays them immediately, you get 8%, you will pay 2% to have immediate money. And I, all I can tell you in a small business is that it is worth having immediate money. So that is where I would be. This is what I would be doing right now. As a matter of fact, this is what I am doing. And this is the advice that I'm giving to my customers. Okay, so now that takes us through this week. So this week, what we did is we covered the issue of how to look at the strategic landscape or canvas. We looked at regulatory issues, economic issues. We looked at science and technology, and we looked at the zeitgeist. Today's show was to take the economic one and focus on that and put our energy into that and understanding that if I know where the business cycle is, then I know what behaviors are smart uh, as a business owner that I should be engaged in. And then what we're going to do is that we're going to take that and we're going to be talking about what stage of growth is your company in. And so it's a different way of looking at this is not a wave, but this is much more of a, a circular, almost like an S pattern of how companies grow. And on next Tuesday, the 29th, what we're going to do is cover the science of growth. So here's my recommendation to you. Go to our website, growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. Download the document there. You'll also find on the resource page, and that's, down, um, that's growthradio.biz. And when you get to the homepage, lots of stuff there. Please look around. But go to the resource page. Midway down, you'll see two downloads. Uh, one is for today's show, which is a 2-0, which uh, on econ uh, economic-driven uh, initiatives. That is part of a five-part white paper we wrote for our business owners, which I may make available to you. And if you go to our website and you give me your, your name, and we have, we're have we starting a new thing called the Alpha Network. I'll talk about that in a second. I get your name. I might send you the whole thing. It's about 80 pages long, but it tells you everything that you need to know about the economy, about the stages of growth, uh, about, uh, well, everything. I, I can't think of anything that is not in there in terms of what you need to know. And then the rest of it is about what you do with the information. And these shows are designed on the information 
how do you apply the information? Uh, so go there, sign up, and th that request for the Alpha Network, and that's on uh, Let's uh, Let's Talk. So if you go to growthradio.biz, you go to Let's Talk, and you can go there, or you can go to what am I saying here? Talking too fast. Join the GrowthWorks Alpha Network. What is the Alpha Network? This is a group of business owner alphas, male or female, doesn't matter. But alphas are people who are aggressive. Alphas are people who want to make change. Alphas are not people who need to be convinced that they got to fix their businesses. What they're looking for is some strategy and tactics for getting that done. And if you join the network, what's going to happen is we use a platform called Slack. If you're not familiar with Slack, you want to check that out for your own business. But it's our operating system for consulting. You'll be on the Slack platform. And basically, myself and our team will be available to you almost 24 by 7. Not quite, but almost 24 by 7 to answer questions. And in Slack, we post our documents. And if you need something, we can put it there. So I heartily recommend that. So with that, thanks for listening. Whether you're doing this live or whether you're doing the uh, podcast or download, go to the website, join the Alpha Network, download um, the two files that are there. The other one on measurement, we'll probably do at some point. It should be pretty interesting. And with that, have a great remainder of the business week. And I'll see you back here at 1230 on Tuesday, the 29th of January. Take care and uh, have a great business day.